Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Retired Sergeant John Kelly is a 30-plus year veteran of the Broward County Sheriff's Office. Over the course of his career, Sergeant Kelly was involved in numerous critical incidents. Today, John runs a law enforcement life coaching program. He has a podcast called Sometimes Heroes Need Help Too and has really become a vocal advocate for first responder mental health and wellness. Sergeant Kelly, we're looking forward to hearing about your career in law enforcement and all the good work that you're doing now. If you wouldn't mind, first, please just take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience. Jay and Linda, thank you so much for having me on the show. I, uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to to connect with uh, with you guys and your listeners. Um, real briefly, I um, like you said, I did 30 down in South Florida. Uh, less career, less career. Mm-hmm. And um, the second chapter, man, I, I couldn't I couldn't just walk away. Uh, I, there was too much what I felt unfinished business. Um, you know, at the end of 30 years, you know, one would think that they would be better right Mm. better off than not and uh it just wasn't the case and so uh i before i embarked on this second chapter i got with my wife my and my daughter my family because i was going to be talking about things that you know it starts with the family right yeah kind of i was gonna kind of be airing our dirty laundry yeah Mm -hmm. you know that makes sense yes and i wanted to make sure that they were down with it that they were okay with me talking about our personal lives because uh that's the life nobody ever talks about yeah right? absolutely you know, I, I had all these accolades at work uh but you know it was uh work was a mask you know work was easy mm. so uh they were cool with it they they once i gave them kind of the the concept of what i wanted to do with sometimes heroes need help and 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 the book and the speaking they uh they knew that it was going to help people you know avoid that hole right yeah and and if people were in it were in the mix it would hopefully be a way to help them get out of it so um father husband of uh geez mrs kelly and i will be married 29 years uh, wow congratulations yeah well listen linda despite my best efforts to destroy my marriage you know (laughs) she wouldn't let that happen she stuck with uh, you yeah she 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 should be the one you're interviewing, really, not me. Well, maybe that's um, another time. There you go. You never <laughs> know, right? And so, yeah, I just uh, very fortunate to be in this position to uh, to really, you know, people say I like to give back to the law enforcement community. I, I think truly that what you guys are doing and what I'm attempting to do, it, that's I think that's how we give back. Mm. Um, 
we we use our experiences, we share our stories, mm. um, and we give guys skill sets, hopefully to enrich their lives to keep them from making the same mistakes we did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, John. It's definitely, I mean, how we started, right, from our own experiences, right? And and yeah. even though, you know, mine is very different to Jay's, right, or also very different to yours, they they have similar, right, um, ingredients in them is that we want to help others, right, um, be able to get through a certain experience that we could possibly help them with, right, from our own. So... I love, thank you for sharing all of that with us. Oh, no. You know, it's funny. When yeah. I speak, Linda, um, the, one of the first things I, I tell the group is I say, listen, we're carbon copies of each other. We're, mm. You know, to a greater or lesser extent, man, mm-hmm. we all share, unfortunately, some of the same missteps and pitfalls and failings. Uh, and I said, the only difference between you and me is I'm okay with sharing my failures. Mm. I'm I'm beyond that, you know. I'm yeah. beyond that, yeah. and I, and I tell the room, I said, listen, I don't care what you think of me, man. I said you could never think as little of me as I've thought of myself, right? You know, so absolutely, it's on, you know, it's hundred percent correct, right? And once yeah. you can accept that, right? Once you can, once you're there at that place, there's no going back because it feels so powerful. It must right. be, right? It must be right. feel so right. empowering. Because it doesn't, right? Because I, I spent the majority of my adult life giving a shit about what other people thought of me. Yeah. yeah. Yep. God, yes. And hiding. Yes, yeah. all the hiding. Oh, man, we want to get into that with you. I'm, I'm very excited. Can we get in? Can we, can we start? Can we get into it? Because I'm eager to, to talk you to you. Want. I'm yours. I'm Perfect. Here. Perfect. So, John, like, Starting off, I mean, you took us through a whole sort of summary, right, very quickly of your career, right? And then, and then, you know, afterwards, very briefly afterwards of what you got into. We're going to get all into it all with you tonight. First, law enforcement, right? Is that where you started? Like, were you a military? Were you a military before? So I went to, I mean, you guys will be familiar with this. I went to Norwich University up there in Vermont. Yep. Okay, yeah. Um, a lot of the guys from the Northeast and from the greater Boston area, we, um, a lot of them, you know, we go to Norwich. And, and so I started at Norwich back in 85. And um, I did a little, exp- I want to say an exploratory thing with the Marine Corps. I went through OCS in 87. And uh, I didn't take a commission. And I went into law enforcement in 91. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I started my career in 91. So how old were you then? Were you a young, young guy? Young, 23, 24. 23, yep. 24 years old, right? Yeah. Was that, when you, when you got into it, what made you, what drove you on to go into law enforcement? So I had, it's, it's, it's funny, right? I, I, my, I, I can't say my dad, right? My dad was an engineer, uh, a, a, a bit of an alcoholic and womanizer, but I mean, he was my dad. <laughs> And, yeah. you know, he, he was, um, if you wanted the definition of a provider for his family, that was him. But, uh, we weren't, we weren't having any deep conversations, you know, yeah. Jack Kelly, Jack Kelly wasn't opening up at the dinner table. You yeah. Know? That yeah. just, that just wasn't happening. But I had two uncles. Um, one was, a, um, a green beret captain in the special forces, um, was in Nam. 
And my other uncle flew rescue choppers in Nam. And so, oh. I, you know, these, these two guys set the, um, the model for me, if you will, of what it meant to serve and, and to, to give back. And, um, you know, I, I, I still idolize them both till this day. I was just going to say that to you. Were they, were they the role models that you were, you like, craving, sort of, like you were looking up to them? Oh, very much so. Very yeah. much so. I, I, you know, um, like my said, my dad, I wish, you know, you know that thing, you know, like, oh, God, I wish I knew back then what I know now. Yeah. Mm. Um, my dad, but you remember that movie, um, The Departed? You got to remember the movie, The Departed. Oh, yeah. and, and, and he's sitting down with the, the shrink and they talk about the Irish and, and they're impervious <laughs> to psychoanalysis, right? <laughs> You know, and that was my dad. I mean, I don't know that he ever shed a tear or um, we just never, we ne we didn't have that relationship. Yeah. And, and I, I wish I could go back, you know, I wish I could go back and, uh, and maybe cut him a little bit of slack, you know? Yeah. I, I was kind of hard on him for, a, for a lot of different reasons, but yeah. Um, yeah, so they were the, they were my role models when it came to. My father with his work ethic and them with their, you know, the lives that they led. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think that yeah. it's, um, you know, when you look back and, and I'm sure you get those questions asked for you all the time. Like, you know, what made you want to get into law enforcement, right? right. Or what way are into service? Um, you, you sure have to start to say, well, I just wanted to be or, or sometimes... You know, first responders share with us, hey, I used to watch the cops and robbers on the TV and I wanted right. to be that cop, right? Um, and it could be something as simple as that. But, you know, you had role models um, of, of um, those two uncles that you sure. that you looked up to. So when you, got in, when you got into law enforcement and you became that cop, right, um, what was that like for you? What, was that what you, was it what you were expecting? It was um, that and so much more. Oh, share I, um, with us. It, so I, I was a, um, a cop in South Florida in the 90s. And, mm. uh, you know, like a lot of areas in the 90s, we still had the crack epidemic. You know, things were, you know, crime was pretty crazy. Um, we were really busy. And mm. what, I, what I really, I didn't know or... I, I, what to expect, but that, that camaraderie, that brotherhood, I think that, you know, and we had it back then. I think that that's something that's missing now a, a bit. Yeah. Um, we socialized off duty together quite mm. a bit. Mm. Um, we were, um, and, and it was welcoming. It was welcoming and damaging all at the same time. Yeah. Right? Cause you know, now you look back and you go, well, that's not really healthy when you, alienate yourself from people that aren't cops right because like all we hung around with were cops yeah um all, all my friends and people that i um were acquaint acquainted with that kind of went by the wayside and yeah i think that was a, a, an unintended consequence i mean i just stopped hanging around with them why do you think um, that was um i think a lot of it you don't want to you know <laughs> i know what it was now um, so, you know, one of the things that I didn't do to introduce myself, because I, I hate labels, um, 
So, but I'll say alcoholic, addict, and adulterer, and that, and I'll stop at the A's because you know we don't want to be we don't want to be running this thing past midnight. So we'll keep it with the A's. All <laughs> okay. right. We won't do the B, C's, and D's. Um, but I've got this theory, um, Jay and Linda, is that we surround ourselves by like-minded, like-actioned people because we'll never be called out on our bullshit. Yeah. Because everybody else is doing the same thing. Yeah. So this this safety in being around a group of people that are dysfunctional. Mm. Um, if if our response and, and what we do to cope and manage stress is just get shit faced, well, that's as long as everybody in the group is doing that, nobody's judging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's almost like a safe place for you to be. Mm. Um, we know that that's not the, the best way in the world to uh, cope with cumulative trauma and stress, right? Yeah. But back then, I, I That's don't know that we knew any different. Yeah. I, I mean, this, this whole, um, this time and this, this space of self-care, uh, I think we thought we were taking care of each other. Mm. Yeah, because you were doing it, it together, right? And you were, yeah, even if there, I, was, I, if there was something, did that, did that happen like frequently or did that happen like after a bad call? Well, this is the thing, Linda. I was a drunk before I got on the job. Oh, my goodness. You know, everybody wants to say, oh, you know, the job did this. To no, I was. I had problems drinking before I even got on the job. Um, I didn't need an excuse. I didn't need a bad night to hit the bottle. Yeah. Um, I just didn't. And, and, and neither did anybody that I ran with. Wow. Um, I, I don't I don't know how we didn't kill somebody. It was just by the grace of God mm. that we didn't hurt somebody uh, or ourselves, you know, during those days. Um, it was just cops didn't arrest cops back yeah. in the 90s. That didn't happen. And unless unless you became combative with the cop, it, they were throwing you in their car and giving you a ride home. You so, know, or they were towing your car for you. There was no consequences right. for drinking and driving and getting crazy. That's a, that's what I was just going to say. So, because there was no no one arresting you, right? You, you couldn't. You, you were you were driving home, and and you know had a, a, an extra few beers on you or whatever it is that you might have. Um, that there was really no consequences. I'll be okay. I'm a cop. Then what are they going to well, do to me? That was the thing. Listen, if you if you arrested a, it, it would be the ultimate in hypocrisy if you arrested a cop for drinking and driving i mean holy smokes that there was nobody that i knew that didn't drink and drive Mm. you know you didn't take a taxi anyway you just you're on the job you're on the job you know i i can't tell you how many times i got home and i had no idea i was the one who drove home oh my goodness yes no for my for our latin listeners it'll be no bueno (laughs) No, oh my goodness. So so if we can get back into the into the into the police thing, right? Yeah. When you became a police officer, right? What was that feeling like for you becoming a cop and being out and like what was the feeling like as far as yeah, I'm sitting up straight on that when I'm saying that, right? And it's sort of right. like what was that feeling like for you? Did you feel some pride in being a cop? Did you feel I wanted to get out there and and be of service to the communities. I wanted to make it better. What was what was the whole deal behind that? I can tell you wholeheartedly that I have always had this this desire to uh, to to stick up for the 
the guy that's getting picked on. Mm. You know, the um I, I hate bullies. Mm. And, and I hate I hate people that take advantage of people that have less than them. Yep. Uh and so this was this was an opportunity to protect people. Mm. Um uh, and, and and to dole out punishment mm. to For people it. that would that would take advantage of them. Yeah. yeah. And um that was really a, a, a strong driving uh, motivation for me. Uh, I, I love the camaraderie of the job, but the calling was really to protect those that couldn't protect themselves. Mm. Um, and, and so that was, um, that made the job. I mean, th- I would, I remember that distinctly remember, you know, going call the call and, you know, being off the clock, but you know, hey, your buddies, you know, your buddies from the other shift are going to this call. So you just, you just you're going to tag along. <laughs> keep, yeah, no, I mean, you could have gone home. You were off. Yeah. Um, and it was that sense of uh, camaraderie and brotherhood. Like, yeah, I know I'm not getting paid, but I want to make sure you guys are good. Yeah. And then, uh, okay. Oh shit! Another call. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, and um, yeah, it was um, it was definitely the brotherhood, but. Really, just as importantly, it was um, protecting people yeah. that, that, that couldn't protect themselves. That yeah. was that the, the calling. I have a, just wanted to follow up on that a little bit with you, if you don't mind, just because you went into, like, when I asked you that question, like, um, you know, did you feel a sense of pride, um, you know, when you became a police officer and you said, well, I've always had that always have that sort of instinct, right, to, to want to help others or... or um, from, and you brought up the word bullies. Were, were you ever, just curiosity, were you ever bullied as a kid? Oddly enough, I like just like one time, one mm. time, it, it, that's, that's all it took. Mm. I got bullied one time. I got beat up pretty good. I got home and my dad, my dad kicked my ass too. Mm. But for not, for not fighting, for not fighting. Mm. So I was like, wait a minute. I'm getting my ass everywhere I go. I'm getting my ass kicked. This yeah, it's gotta, it's gotta be, it's gotta, we gotta change this. Yeah, and so you know, I, I remember it. He was just like, "No, this is what you do. You, you don't, you don't let people do that to you." And, you know, he got, he was so pissed at me that I got bullied. He kicked my, yeah, <laughs> doubled yeah. down on it. Yeah, and so <laughs> after that, I, um, you know, I was, I wasn't a bully, but I. You know, you want you want to push. I'll take the fight. You know, I'll take yeah. the fight to you. Can I just um, can I just dig in there a little bit with you? Good, sure. What did that? What was that feeling like? What did that feel like um, to you? Do you remember that situation when you were bullied and then going home? Like, regardless of even what you just said, right about yeah. your dad, right? Do you remember the feeling of that? How you felt in that time? I was ashamed. Oh, ashamed of being bullied by the by the kids yeah, or by your sh- dad. Ashamed of ashamed of letting somebody do whatever the hell they wanted to to me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, no, that was not cool. Yeah, and that, I, I let's I, I'll bite somebody in the throat if I see them bullying somebody. Mm. I mean, you just it, 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 yeah, that's you where your passion comes from. You don't do that to people. Yeah, that's where you remember that. That's why your that's where your passion comes from, um, man. It's it's. Sort of, I wanted to be of service because I wanted to help people, and also right. I think that deep down in your subconscious, right, um, that feeling was buried within you, and sort of, 
came to surface as well when you became a police officer. Um, yeah. So let's get into that. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I mean, oh, I know I dug, I know I dug a little bit in in deeper in oh, there that you probably no. you weren't I expecting. Go, I'm gonna go beat up my neighbor now. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so, um, so when on the job, right? Yeah. When did you started noticing, or were those incidents? Where was there incidents early on or later on? in your career that you, you know, maybe felt some change or that you had some incidents that you were involved in that stuck with you? Um, Great question, Linda. Yeah. Yeah, So during my career, I had like three verified attempts on my life. Um, One right out of the gate. uh, And and then the other two were kind of spread, you know, five or six years apart. And, I remember, I didn't know what it was. Like, I, I now know it was PTS, right? I, I now know the nightmares, waking up, like like I, my heart coming out of my chest, you know, the, 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 the sweating, the um, just reliving that whole experience. I now know what it was. I mm. had no idea what the hell was wrong with me. Mm. I would go to bed with my, my fists clenched. Mm. Um, it just, you know, that hypervigilance. I mean, just that all, all these things that we know now. Mm. And um, Jay is nodding furiously over here. Yeah. Re- totally <laughs> relate with what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, because, but this was the thing. Um, we didn't debrief that. Like we debriefed your tactics. Like, yeah. Uh, hey, this was stupid. Next time, wait for a backup. I, I know, but I almost got killed tonight. Mm. Uh, we don't. We're not going to talk about that. We're talking about your tactics and the stupid decision you made to go out with the guy by yourself that almost got you killed and almost killed everybody else trying to get to you. So it's your That's fault. What we're talking about, right? So it was your fault. Yeah. Well, it, it, it was my fault, Linda, because. Had I not had I done what I was supposed to do, which was wait for a backup, and then it would have been two on one and not one on one, and then the world that I called to come help me mm. wouldn't have had to have endangered their lives to get to me, mm. right? You know, I mean, so it's that it's um, it's you know, I talk about in the book a a, a, a baby call I got on the, the neighbors called because a kid was screaming, so I'm like, you know damn, you need to keep your kid quiet, you know? This is, you live in a, a housing complex, you know, people are trying to go to bed. Mm. Well, the kid's screaming because it's getting beat with an extension cord. Oh. So, you know, so I had shame over that, um, you know, because I, I didn't protect the kid. Mm. Uh, you know, it's just stuff like that that you go, who do there's nobody to talk to back then about mm. why I'm feeling this way, why I'm upset, why I'm becoming detached and isolated, why I'm crying at night. Right? You just go, well, who the f- who the fuck am I going to talk to about this? Did no one ever ask you? No, Linda, we don't talk about that. Mm. We don't talk about that. That would be you. Uh, you would be made fun of. You, you would be less. You would be less. There mm. wasn't, you know, I ran with, like, like all of us back in the day, man, we ran with some, some, you know, outwardly hardcore guys. 
you know, and there was never a time where you were allowed to show emotion um, on the job. I mean, that just didn't happen. Um, And when we talked about things after, we didn't talk about how effed up it was that we were picking up bodies and the skin was coming off in our hands. We didn't talk about that. Mm. We talked about, oh, you know, in general terms, you know, what a crazy night that was. Um, But nobody, there was no debrief um, or an appointment with the therapist to make sure you were sleeping. Like you, the three of us know the importance of sleep, right? How it repairs the brain. And we know the problem with not getting adequate sleep and, um, you know, the prefrontal cortex and the, uh, that amygdala hydra. We know all about that now. There were days on end of not sleeping, still going to work. And, you know, it's the the cycle of this, that that's when you start that tailspin because every time I close my eyes, I see that kid. So I don't close my eyes. Yeah. The only way I go to sleep is because I'm up for a day and a half and I'm exhausted or yeah. I drink so much that I pass out so I could sleep. Yeah. And so the brain's never repairing itself. You're in this tailspin and you know, and everybody in the room's looking at each other like what the hell's going on? Yeah. I remember um, one of the other first responders actually down in Florida. It was it was uh, Raul um, Rivas, Rivas, right? Yeah, you know Raul, right? Uh, um, Raul. Yep. Yeah. So um, I remember Raul was on, and he had shared with us right about the about the Pulse nightclub, and yep. um, but even even before that, like it was you know going out on those calls, right, and then coming back, and if it affected you. You know, I had asked him the question, so, you know, what did you do to to, to take a minute? And he said, Linda, just like the start of the way you are, like animated saying that, Linda, we didn't take it. There was no taking a minute. What are you talking about? There was no taking a minute. So um, if you know the way Raul speaks, right, you start to to like, yeah, Yeah. there's there's no taking a minute. There was no minute. That was it. You just had to get ready for the next call. So that's the problem. You yeah. Know, we, this generation, my generation. Yeah. You know, we didn't know what we didn't know, but what we did was we, we, we infected the guys coming behind us. We, we, we didn't give them any skills either. We, we, we treated yeah. them and we had nothing to give them that was positive. So we just kept sharing the dysfunctional ways of coping that we established of of not coping. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, the the kind of the awesome thing that's happening is that that's no longer acceptable. Mm -hmm. Like people, you know, are are starting to figure some stuff out that not addressing it, pretending it, pretending it, you know, that you, you, you're not feeling a certain way, you know, that's what cowards do. Mm. It's the opposite. Mm. Like you would have thought that you would have been looked at back in the day funny and you would have. Now there's really no reason for you not to seek some help and talk to a professional. It still because happens. I think, I think that, that there's a, there's a shift there. I think that I, I think mm. we're starting to become a little more 
informed, a little more educated than mm. we were, mm. that, you know, you, you, you're not, I don't think you're looked upon as being less or weak <clears throat> if you go, hey, you know what, that was messed up, man. Um, uh, hey, I know I am not good. I am not okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, we still got a ways to go, but yeah. I think the pendulum's starting to swing up in that way, I think, a little bit more. Absolutely. Totally correct, 100%. There is a shift. Uh, we all feel it, right? Um, I think because in the la- maybe even the last five years, right, there is sure. a, a shift in, in a way of there's a lot more conversation about mental health and first response, right? Sure. And it's needed. It needs to be happening and it needs to continue to happen. We're just... We're just hitting the surface now, right? We're just at the surface of it, of the, sure. of these conversations, and it's great to be a part of of it to um, to to help it continue, um, to grow into just making it normal, to be right. normal part of a conversation, not just sometimes like still, in in some agency or, de- or departments, it's part of a check the box mark off, right? Sure, no because doubt. we have right. to bring in something because we have to, and there's that check mark is off that box right but making it normal in each in departments but it still is a long ways to go right mm-hmm. if there's still suicides happening in right. first response well and there still is a lot of work to be done right because there's still you know you, you talked about like back then no, no one was talking about it no one was talking about it and some folks are talking about it and maybe it's happening when it becomes to a, a situation where they have to talk about it because they've nowhere else to go, right? right. Or they, they just, I'm, I'm not functioning here and right. I need help when they need help, when they're in that crisis situation. You find just from other interviews that that's unfortunately sure. when first responders start talking is when they're in a crisis situation. We hope to to not let it get to that. Jay, do you want to chime in on uh, that? Yes, yeah, yes, ma'am. So I, I absolutely agree with both of you. I think there's there's been um, an incredible shift, and it's a really positive thing for the culture, for first responders, and for, for you know, the communities they serve when when – Mental health and wellness is is like endorsed and supported within within a department. Um, <clears throat> I do also agree that we have a very long way to go. Like uh, anybody that that seeks help and receives it and and begins healing and you know getting well, um, you know, from that side of things, we see it and it's like, oh my god, everybody, when you're hurting, speak up. This is amazing, right? I've right. said to Linda before on this podcast, I was so surprised because I waited a long time to get help that it f- it felt like strength, you know, because I had felt strong in other contexts before. Yeah. But I was so afraid to admit I had a feeling, never mind a whole bunch of them, or that I wasn't sleeping, and uh, you know, I was self-stigmatizing, right? Like I sure. had, I was carrying whatever beliefs I was carrying about myself and, you know, it was okay for other people, but not me. I got this. I'm, you know, yeah. whatever that was, because the reality is, you know, if you look in, uh, in, in the DSM five, which many of our listeners might know what it is, but that's where the diagnostic uh, criteria is for things like PTSD, actual or threatened death is listed in there, right? We all see that. What about when, when there's, when there's a dead baby on scene, you're a human being. You're going to have right. an emotional response to that. This is the science and math of the human condition at this point that we know about. 
We know there's these reactions. Everybody should be getting help at some point in their career in the same way that you pay attention to what you eat, how you take care of your body, um, how you work out. And I do think, based on the only reason I went into that thing about the DSM, is because if you look at the amount of critical incidents that a first responder goes to in their career, and then you look at the percentage yeah. of first responders that seek help, it, it doesn't add up. And then you yeah. look right. at, at uh, you know, the suicide uh, statistics and everything else, and it's like, whoo. Um, you know, and, and another part of that is that's why it's kind of so amazing to see this transition begin to happen. That's why I'm really hopeful about, you know, this, this movement, um, in that direction. I was having a really interesting conversation this morning with, with a group of veterans, something that you said earlier on, uh, in the interview, you were talking about, uh, you said when you talk to, to, uh, first responders, sometimes you say, if you know you couldn't think as little of me as as I've thought of myself, right? Which I think is such a powerful statement. And one of those statements that I think might get gets through to our culture that people can really yeah. relate to. Um, and in the conversation we we're having this morning, we were talking about we were talking about if anybody ever did to me what I did to myself. I'd kill him, <laughs> right? And then yeah. we, 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 that was like, you know, and then you get to take an, kind of an honest look at where you've gone as, as a result, where that trauma has moved you. Who was I before? Where were my values and, and where am I now? Right. And hopefully that leads to some self-forgiveness. So I think that's leading up to the question I, I want to ask you. Like as a first responder coach, right, what do you think of that moment where somebody's able to forgive themselves? How important do you think it is? Um, because we're a culture that we pride ourselves on our values, right? So we take those wounds. Well, I don't know. Do we, Jay? Yeah. I don't know, man. That's it, it. So I've got a couple different takes on that. Um, for, so to answer your question directly, um, taking ownership mm-hmm. of your transgressions, the things that you've done, to put you in the place not to care about you. Mm. See, this uh, my, uh, this is a woman, Olivia Johnson. Um, she came up with this. She's a former police officer. Um, fatal 10. And, and it, it's basically 10 factors in like how we live our lives. Mm. And when I look at that fatal 10, I was failing in all those areas. And that put me in a position not to care about myself. Mm. And so, like, when I, when I talk about forgiveness, so I, I, I stepped out on my wife and, and my daughter because I, I would argue that she was maybe hurt in a different way just as much as my wife was. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't rea- I didn't realize that till uh, a while ago. Um, and so... How do you forgive yourself for that? Um, and, and that I struggled with that for for an extremely long time. Um, I, I would argue that they forgave me before I forgave me. Okay. Um, stepping out on my wife and my daughter, and um, and it's I pay penance every day. Mm. I my, my goal is to show to express that gratitude, to be better today to them and to myself mm-hmm. 
than I was yesterday. Yeah. Right. And whatever that looks like, man, whatever that looks like, whether it's me being more in, in, intentful, um, me taking a, a minute to pause and, and, and for absolutely no reason, just to either grab them and give them a hug and kiss them on the forehead or just appreciate that moment that I have. Um, and then if I do that enough, the guy that hurt them, he dies. He dies. He goes away, man. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's that. Listen, I, I got a saying, man, I, we didn't get messed up overnight, so we're not going to get fixed overnight. Mm. Right? And so it took me a long time to get to the place where I was okay with doing what I did. So it's going to take me a bit to get back to that man yep. who knows what the right thing to do is, who is um, that father and husband that he knows he should be, mm -hmm. and that, that friend to being a better friend to yourself. Like I always say to guys, you know, when they're in a, in a trick bag and they're pondering something, I go, what would your best friend say to you? What, what's the advice you would give your best friend? Mm. Right. All right. Now, now it's you. Yeah. Right. So we just got to be, you know, and, and that's like, Oh shit. Okay. Well, we need to start taking our own advice. And then if, and this might sound a little dopey, man, but I, I will tell you that one of the keys that I practice every day, not only is gratitude, um, but that, you know, the, the serenity prayer, yep. mm -hmm. I live it, man. I live it. I breathe it. Um, and I, that part of, you know, the serenity to accept that, which I cannot change. Mm -hmm. Right. I let, I, I let everything go, man. If I don't have a say in it, if I don't have control over it, I let it go. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, because that uh, that frees up bandwidth and time. That yeah, does. To have, the, to, you know, the courage to deal with me. Because like, yes. I'm the one, I'm the one that can make a difference. And so instead of me worrying about things I don't have control over, I, um, I completely focus on the things that I do have yep. control over, which is me. Yes. And, um, it's taken me a really long time to figure that out. Mm, yeah, I love, I love, I'm totally in tune with what you're saying. Yes, if you, if, you know, there's things that you can't control over, right? Even people's reactions or, or what they do, right? A lot of the times you get upset or frustrated or angry or mad or whatever it might be with certain folks around us, right, outside of us. But when we're not in control of them, we can get frustrated um, or can in control of their actions or responses to certain things and um you know, yeah i've learned a long time ago also you know let go of that stuff right um yeah. because i i i can only control right or make choices about me and how i react to certain things or respond 100%. to certain yeah. things right yep. um and i can only control that and i have to let everything else go and then just right. and offer I think up that's here. the way. Yeah, I think that's the way you start to forgive. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that make if that makes sense. It makes so much sense. So well said, John. It, it absolutely makes sense. Um, and I think that's how we get our lives uh, back in alignment with our own value systems. And that's where a lot of the pain comes from, right? Like, if you live in your life um, 
in conflict with your own values that man that's painful oh my god the shame mm. I, I, I there were times if i could have smashed every mirror in the house i would have mm. it was just it was it was painful um and and, and it, what's kind of crazy is so you know i i i speak I, I i just got back from oklahoma i put my program on from muskogee pd Okie from Muskogee. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so every time I present, I go back there, right? I go <laughs> back to being that guy that absolutely hates himself. And it's, it's just for a moment, right? Yeah. It's for a moment. Yeah. Um, and I need, um, it's funny, my wife was with me. I was down in Key West presenting for the FBI last year. And it was the first time that she had she had poked her head in the room while I was presenting. Mm. And I talk about my alcoholism, my infidelity, my addictions. I talk about all these things. I talk about our relationship and our marriage. And she poked her head in and she's like, she was like five minutes. She's like, I couldn't, she couldn't take it anymore. And so when I got done, um, I said, Hey, I, this is the, another thing I, I've never done. Uh, Jay or Linda, I never would tell her what I need. I said, Hey, I need an hour. Don't say anything to me. I just, I need to sit with me. I need to sit with myself mm -hmm. and get my head right before I come to you. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, it's like a process. Like I know that's what I need because yeah. I got to forgive myself again for everything that I just kind of through it was on the back burner yeah put it on the front burner yeah i put it out there for the entire room and now i have to get gotta, it put on the back burner it, again i gotta put it in the yeah. back burner yeah yeah, yeah. yeah like de so, decompressing yeah and mm. she was like she had a front row seat for that and she was just like she like saw the process like normally i'll drive if i do a uh, a presentation in florida i usually got a two or three hour maybe even a four hour ride home yeah. And I sit in the truck mm. and I drive and I work through forgiving myself again. Yes. Yeah. And by the time I see her, you're good. I'm solid. I'm yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um but she's with me now, you know, down there and I was just like, "Hey, uh I'm going to disappear for a little bit, you know, and just be okay with that. And then when I see you, the next time I see you, which should be in about an hour." Mm. I'll be good and we can go to dinner and we can go for a walk and we can, you know, we can do all those things. Mm. So uh, I, I think, you know, I guess part of that is finding out how you forgive yourself. Yeah. And I, and I love that you're able to actually communicate that with your wife too, right? I'm sure that was something that was very, very hard. Like if you were keeping a lot of stuff like shoved in that Linda, backpack. The reason why I had all the problems yeah, because I never communicated. Yeah, so do That's you want to go? In, why do you want to yeah. go there a little bit? Like, when did you oh start it? Let's go there, like for a little bit. Like, sure. When did you started noticing that your life was falling apart? Did it gradually start falling apart, or was it? I know you said I was drinking along before I became a police officer, yeah. but there had to be something where. Was it gradually, whether or did it just like spiral? Like, share with us so what you were experiencing I, then. So when 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 crazy becomes the new normal, mm. it's um, 
it was just a lifestyle. Um, I got married in 95 and I would, you know, I would argue that I really hadn't changed my drink. I was the same guy when I was courting Nicole. Um, and, and what was interesting, right? I, I didn't know this then I know it now. Mm. I would always date girls that were needy, that were, that were messed up, that, that needed fixing. Um, and I mean, the more messed up you were, I was like, I ride in like a knight on a horse with the armor. I'm like, I'm here to save the day. Yeah. You know, I can um, fix you. I can fix you. Mm. And, and so when I married Nicole, she didn't need fixing. She mm. was solid. She had a great family. Her parents and parents going to be married 60 years next month. Yeah. Um, for his, her, my father-in-law a, was a cop for 32 years down on Miami beach. Um, my mother-in-law, I mean, so she didn't need fixing. Yeah. And so, um, that was terrifying because I need, when I don't have somebody to fix, um, all my flaws, all my issues, uh, I can't, I can't, I, I ran from them is what I did. Um, and I never, I never talked to her, uh, not only about like the job, but I would never have a conversation with her if there was the slightest potential for a disagreement or an argument. Mm. Um, I, I would avoid that like the plague and it, it was, it was routine. Um, my mom would call from Boston. We mm. were down in Florida mm. and, uh, Nicole, I'd go to hand the phone to Nicole like my mom would call like once a week just to check on the kids, you know, see how you guys are doing. Yeah. My wife, I don't want to talk. I'm I'm not here. And I was like, like that should have been like a real easy conversation for me to have with my wife. Like, Hey, why don't you want to talk to my mom? Mm. Did you get into a fight? Did she say something? Did she do something to piss you off? Like, why don't you want to talk to her? Mm. I don't ever have that conversation. I start making excuses on why Nicole can't come to the phone. I say, you know, every time my mom calls, you know, every time I call, she's in the shower. She's got to be the cleanest girl in South Florida. I mean, I, I, I says, Ma, what do you want me to tell you? You know, she's in the shower. And it was just, you know, like it would have been an easy conversation, but it, 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 it could have turned into a conflict. So I don't have the conversation, but I can tell you, uh, it's the first wedge. Um, you not talking to my mom is a problem for me. Mm. and But I don't let her know it's a problem. And it's a series of non-communications like that yeah. over over um, years, years. Uh, and, and I refuse to have, see, this was the thing. Like, if you asked anybody about John and Nicole, they're the perfect couple. They never They never argue. They never fight. Well, you didn't what's, because you what's, didn't communicate. What's the, yeah, what's the best way not to have an argument? Mm. Don't talk. Don't talk. Don't talk. So you didn't talk. Didn't talk and say a word. Wow. Um, and and so I did that with everything. And it was, if I had only known then, the, you know how that would lay the foundation for you know things really going rapidly falling apart. You know I would have, it would have been nice to have known. Um, 
how simple that would be. I think a lot of it had to do with seeing my mom and dad fighting and arguing a lot when, 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 you know, he'd come home drunk and they would get into it. And, mm. you know, as I got older, I'd get in the middle of it and, yeah. and you know, you know, all that nonsense. Yeah. Um, and I think to a, a greater or lesser degree, that was, I saw that and I was like, Oh, that's not going to happen in my house. So th the best way not to have a, a shoving match or for it to get physical at all would be not to even discuss it. Mm. So I think I kind of used what I picked up, I think a little bit just to avoid having any problems in the house. And it actually caused 10, 10 times more problems yeah. than it ever you know, yeah. would have been if I just talked. Sounds, it sounds like also like something that you became really good at, like at work, right? Um, you know, not talking about those calls, right? Right. Um, also then manifested into the, into the home, right? Not talking about those things that bothered you. And, right. and you could solve that issue by just drinking yourself to sleep, right? Or, or not talking about it um, and being able to sort of just push all of that aside. So when did it, when did it come like to a break inside? You said this was going on for like for years and years of of this type of behavior, right? Of yeah. not being able to say, hey, why why the heck? Like, couldn't you talk to my mom and whatever else that came came about? Sure. So when did it like come to a breaking point? Like what? How? When did you realize? Oh man, I need help. Like what's going on here? So, um, it happened in stages. Mm. I. Uh, I stopped drinking in 96. Mm. Um, I, I, I was drunk at work. And uh, my guys, the, my, my squad mates were covering my calls while I slept it off at a buddy's house. Mm. Uh, they Back in the day, our radios didn't have identifiers. It was just a, if you keyed the mic and somebody talked, it was just somebody talking. They didn't know that it came back to a specific person. Yeah. So they handled my calls. Uh, well, I slept it off and, uh, the sergeant, I never made it to roll call. So Sarge wanted to see me at 4 AM cause he hadn't seen me all night. And the minute he saw me, I was still three sheets to the wind. So, you know, he, uh, he said he, he, um, really showed me some grace that night. Uh, he said, go home. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. Could, could have, could have thrown me in the backseat of his car, taken me to, do sobriety tests and, and, and a blood draw could have arrested me that night. Mm. Um, you, you know, it's not the movies, man. You don't yeah. go to work shit faced and everything's okay. Yeah. It just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. And um, so that first, the next night I go into work sober and um, they give me an option. They give me a second chance. Uh, you can go to uh, get, get help on your own, or we're going to come in and refer you one way or the other, you're going to get help. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, let me see what I can do on my own. Uh, I called the EAP at work and they connected me with AA meetings for cops ran by cops. There was a retired cop out of Davie that held meetings at his house Thursday nights at eight o'clock. Wow. So I start going to the meetings and I figure it out. Right. I, so, so I'm no longer drinking. Okay. But I'm still not communicating. Yeah. All right. So drinking, believe it or not, was the easiest. I haven't had a drink in 27 years. Easiest thing I've ever done was okay. not have a drink. Okay. Um, but that didn't mean that, like, 
my addiction issues and, and my infidelity things uh, issues were going to be any better. Um, I was sober, believe it or not, during the the time you know the time where most people use alcohol to blame making poor decisions. I was doing that completely sober. That's how little I cared, um, which is pretty shameful. Mm. Um, that non communicative way of me. Mm. So there was a time when Nicole and I. Well, she didn't want to be intimate with me anymore. I I know, Linda. The look of shock and horror on your face is very supportive. Thank you. I, I have no idea. I'm not what that surprised. I just I didn't either. even I change no my. Oh, I didn't yeah, even change. Smokes. No, I'm just. <laughs> um, so I um. There was no listen, judgment I, there on my behalf. By the way, it's too funny. Listen, it's all good. I um. If I can't have a conversation on the little things, the simplest of things. Am I going to have this conversation? No, you're not. This is heavy duty, man. Mm. And so I stick with, I, I run. And what I do is I, I, I step out on her. I have an affair. And uh, that's the beginning of my spiral because I'm also abusing steroids at that time. And um, that whole rational thought has left the building uh i am all emotional i am also under suspension and looking to go to federal prison at this time oh my uh, goodness yeah so i've got a lot of listen um all these things were of my making by the way first let me just say that that i'm not oh oh i'm getting the the, the, the short end of the stick everybody's trying to f me over no um you know, my book, Surviving Self-Inflicted Wounds? Yes. I did this to me. Mm-hmm. Nobody else. Self-inflicted right? wounds, but yeah. That doesn't that doesn't lessen the sting or the pain. It's mm. still a shitty situation. Mm. Uh, all right, I'm the one who created it. Um, and, and so that, um, that started that spiral of uh, completely irrational thoughts, um, you know, we always say emotional decisions are never good decisions. I couldn't make a good decision if my life depended on it. Um, and I had, some, at that point, I had some people see, watch me spiral. Um, I had a friend come to me and he said, uh, you know, he knew what was going on with everything, with the investigation, with Nicole, mm. uh, with my steroids. He said, you know, you're eating your gun in six months and you don't even know it. Wow. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about, man? He goes, you know, and I always say, like, don't you, isn't it the thing, though, though like sometimes our friends know us better than we know ourselves? Mm. And they can they can see a situation and they know how you are. And he was like, man, you're not going to, you're not going to survive this. Wow. Um, it's it just, he said, so. I need, you know, this was his attempt, like, to get me to start thinking rationally because I was completely irrational for the longest time. And so he, uh, I think, like, one of the takeaways that I kind of profess when I instruct now is we, you, me, Jay, we need to be better at having tough conversations with the people that we love. Mm. We need to be able to call them out on their bullshit. Mm. Yeah. And he called me out on my bullshit. And he said, you know, hey, 
These are things that are going to happen. This is going to happen. If you're down, listen, this is the other thing. Um, when we talk about suicide, uh, um, we know that for every bad guy that kills one of us, two to three take our own lives. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's terrible. Of those two to three, statistically, half of those are the result of a divorce or a breakup. Mm. And, and I'm falling into that category, right? I'm falling. That's me. Um, and, and it's a series of just irrational thoughts and shame and compounding that with the potential or possibility of going to jail as a cop yeah. and everything else. Um, you start believing that there's no hope. Mm. See, that's, that's what happens, man. And, you know, did you have those thoughts? Yes. And it was, um, I had to, of all things, Linda, I had to go see my primary care physician because they did a fit for duty for me. Um, that they said I wasn't fit for duty physically. Mm. I was fit for duty physically. Mentally. Mentally you weren't. I was not. They, mm. they completely missed. It, it still ended up saving my life because I had to go speak to somebody to get back to work. And mm. it wasn't my intent to tell him everything that I told him, but I, he was a trusted friend that mm. just so happened to be my primary care doctor. Mm. And uh, I sat with him and I told him about the shame and the guilt and what I was doing to Nicole and my, and my Brianna and not wanting to go to jail and the thoughts of wanting to hurt myself as being the only hope, the only option to get out of this mess. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it, you don't realize it though when you're in it and you're not sleeping, like you don't sleep when you don't sleep for days, mm. there's no, there's no way for you to make a rational decision. Right. Mm. It's a, it's completely impossible. Yeah. And so you're, you, you, you're, you're making these decisions or non-decisions. Um, and, you know, I flew to Boston to like seek counsel with, to tell you how messed up in the head it was. I went to go speak to my dad, the alcoholic who had since left my mom for another woman. That's the guy that I'm going to talk to to help me figure out my this mess of a life that I made. Yeah. And uh, I got off the plane at Logan. I went over to Shipyard Quarters Marina in Charlestown, and I saw my dad, and he looked at me, and he, like, he had to smile. And he was just like, you're just like me. Mm. And I got to tell you, man, if somebody – it felt like he hit me with a baseball bat. Um, you know what? Because I, I don't want to be like him. Yeah. You said that. You had said that earlier. I didn't want to be like him no. from from younger so er years. Yeah. I, I, that hurt. That, that really, that was troubling. You know, I got back on a plane and I flew, you know, I can't run from this. I got back on a plane and went back to Florida. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started to, to, with the help of some people, figure some things out. Yep. Um, and it was... Once I once I knew that there was some hope, mm. yeah, that was like the turning point because first things first, he said you got to stop pumping all this shit in your system. Um, 
let's just just for a point of reference for the mm. listener yeah a, a, a normal male's testosterone level is anywhere between like four and seven hundred mm-hmm. i was up over four thousand oh my goodness so i was uh, and what that does to you emotionally is not good on top of like if that was the only thing going on in my life i probably would have been okay right mm-hmm. but I, I i i had the shame and the guilt of the affair um that was not resolved at all yet um i was looking i was being investigated by a, a a team of of investigators looking to send me and a bunch of other guys to federal prison um and, and i had no ability to think rationally so first things first stop pumping that shit in your system and then start getting in, in you know going to therapy and counseling and talking and communicating Dating. And mm. I, I, you know, I never thought that I would be somebody that I always thought that I could handle this on my own. Yeah, because you're a tough guy. I solve everybody else's problems. Yeah, do that. I do that all day. Mm. And I, I um, uh, this was this was a kick in the ass. I and I, you know, obviously I'm, I'm downplaying it. It was um, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do was fix me. Did you just see Jay's reaction, Dad? <laughs> Did you just see Jay's reaction? Amen, brother. It's the truth. It was. It was. It was absolutely the hardest. And and I don't think it's getting emotional. You're getting emotional right there. It's yeah. it's fine. It's just mm. the problem is is when you have that much shame, you don't think you can fix you. And that's the problem. Mm. Like, and so it's, it takes, it took for me, somebody to shake me, somebody to remind me of who I, see, I hadn't always been a piece of shit. Mm. Right. So it took somebody to remind me of the strength and the power that I have. Mm -hmm. And that serenity prayer that if this is of my making, I can undo it. I I can be the solution. If I'm the problem, I can be the solution. Mm. I don't have to rely on anybody else to fix me. I can fix me. I just need to be open uh, to knowing that I don't know and that maybe there are people out there that do that can help me. And that love you and care about you. They had always been there. Mm. I just couldn't see them. Mm. <sighs> well, um, I know he's relating with you to to the degree that that I'm speechless. I've mm-hmm. I've had uh, much of the same experience in many of the same ways. I mean, not exactly right. It's but uh, when you talk about the emotional aspect, the hottest thing I ever had to do uh, was was fix yourself. You know, it it, uh, yeah, it took right. my breath away because uh, yeah. you know I, I I didn't think. That that I could be fixed. I didn't think that I could fix myself. I thought that I was broken beyond repair, and uh, right. you know, and there were people around me that cared about me, that loved me, that had my best interest at heart, and they had been there, but I didn't see them. Right, Jay. Um, you know, and and uh, and I say the Serenity Prayer every day myself. You know, hmm. uh, 
So, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how to respond to that other than I, I uh, really appreciate that moment and admire your openness and sharing it because I, I truly believe that it's, it's you know, when someone who's out there struggling and suffering right now is that kind of raw honesty. Those are the moments that open their eyes to their own healing journey. Um, sure. Yeah. It's you know, beautiful. That's a be- yeah, that was. I look. I look yeah. back, Jay and Linda. I look back and I said, "Damn it! I made it so much harder than it had to be." You know, um, so much harder than it had to be. And, and, and I, I tell you, it's um, and and so for the listener that's got a friend that's going through a hard time, like you can't minimize the role that you play. In their lives. Yeah. You know, I, I know people always, oh, he's a big boy. He'll figure it out. Mm. You know, no, man. No, no. He, see, this is the thing. Um, we're not. We're not. We're really good with some things. Yeah. Um, and, but when it comes to us walking in this, this, this path, mm-hmm. we need somebody to walk with us. At least I did. Mm. Yeah. And, and if. And, and so for the listener, man, if you've got a brother or sister out there that you know is struggling, um, be nosy. Be a pain in the ass. Um, not only check on them, but grab them by the back of the neck and say, let's let's go for a walk. Like, I know you're in this, and I know this is a, a fucking horrible time in your life right now, mm. but I'm walking with you. Mm. Like, uh, I'm going to I'm going to do whatever I can to help take some of that burden off your shoulder. Yeah. You don't have to walk it alone. No. Right? No. No. Um you don't have to do these things alone. I'm here to support you, right? And That's it. imagine that feeling like of someone hearing that. You don't have to do this alone. I'm here to support you. It's a big deal. I think it allows them to breathe a little bit. Yes. Oh yeah. Exhale. Cuz they've been holding their breath and for a long time. What? And maybe that's that hope that they've been looking for. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I think it's important. Yeah. So just reflecting for our listeners who's listening in tonight, um, we have John Kelly on today, who's a motivational speaker. He is a podcaster. He has his own podcast. He has an author. motivational I've been over the last half He has. No, absolutely. I mean, believe me, you are motivational. What people are listening tonight is motivational because you, you just might motivate someone to start on their own journey. I'm by sure you. you have. Yes, absolutely. Um, just might start someone on, on, on their own journey to start their own healing, to stop giving a damn about what other people think, right? Um, and Because this is what got you in the place of where you were and, and Jay in the place of where, where he was, right, and when he was struggling, was because... You care too much about what other people think about you, right? Uh, or whether it be weak or whether it be, you know, if you were ashamed of yourself. All of those type of things. You, you, you just gave a damn too much about what other people thought about you. Right. Um, no doubt. So, uh, man, I, could, I wish I could give you a hug through the camera, <laughs> by the way. Um, so what I, what I want to ask you is then, you you retired right uh, as yes. a police officer right after thirty plus years. Correct. You started on your healing journey, John, and obviously you started to be able to talk about this. You had someone now who cared about you that 
that they were there all the time. Just I'm just repeating what you said. Who were yeah. there all the time? You didn't see them, and you started on your healing journey. And and there is still learning, right? And along this process, right? Every day, every day, right? Uh, every it's, day. That's why it's healing, right? It doesn't it's not healed? Healing, yeah. right? And um, so when I when you think about now what you're doing now, like you were able to start seeing the light, right? To say I can get through this. Sure. Was that the motivation that you needed to start doing what you're doing now? As a as a life coach, like where did the life coaching come in? Where did the the podcast come in? Where did the book come in? Where did all of that happen? So I um I realized that like it's incumbent upon me. Like I, there's a moral obligation to share, mm. especially if I if I figured out some. Listen, it took me. I'm 57 years old. It, it's taken me into my late fifties to figure some shit out. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of think back, what if there was somebody doing what I'm doing now, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, guiding, mentoring, providing hope and some insight into how we navigate life. Yeah. I mean, listen, not everybody's got to fall in the hole. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can walk around it. Yes, right. And so, part of that was realizing that if if I'm going to be in this thin blue line, right? If I'm going to be in this this honor society of of, of noblest of professions, mm. then one of the ways we keep it noble is by caring for each other. Yeah, yeah. and I think that so that was. You know, I developed this program, you know, personal, you know, our relationships, professional, our professional relationships, mm -hmm. financial and physical and mental health. And I was like, those are the things that nobody teaches us. And those are the things that jam us up all the time. Like, yeah, yeah. We don't. Yeah. Need, we don't need more training and like how to be a fire a firefighter. Put the put the put the wet stuff on the hot stuff. I mean, what else do you gotta know, right? Cop stuff, right? You know, you know, use come common sense. Bad guys go to jail. Good guys go home. Mm. I mean, it's not difficult. We don't need to spend all this time and energy training guys to do shit that they can do with their eyes closed. Mm. What we do need to train guys on is how to build relationships that will last at home, how mm -hmm. to communicate, how to interact, how to interact with each other, yeah. how to maintain, a, 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 how to be fiscally sound, how, how to manage money, how to invest, how to not spend more than you make. Yes. Um, and then how do we take care of our, they need help. How do we take care of ourselves, not only physically, but mentally? Mm. What does that look like? What are some things that we can be doing? And so it was, it, it really became just looking at my own life. I was like, well, these are all the areas that I have failed horribly in. It would have been nice to have some direction along the way. And so that's really how the book came about and, and the program, Sometimes Heroes Need Help, uh, came about. It, it's really about paying it forward and trying to help the, the men and women that are still in it or still affiliated yeah. figure out some things um, preemptively. Mm -hmm. like everybody right now, this 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 is like the this the health model and a disease model. Yeah. Um, 
And I don't want you to hit the wall. I don't want you to crash and burn. I don't want you to fall in the hole, right? If you do, if you do, I'll be there. Jay will be there. Linda will be there for you. We'll help you get out of the hole, mm-hmm. right? But wouldn't it be awesome, man, if you never fell in? Yeah. Yes. So knowing what we know now, I think it's incumbent upon us to share, mm-hmm. share our struggles, but sh- but share how we got through it and give people the skill sets so they don't become me mm. in the short term. Yes. And they do become me in the long term. Mm. Yes, absolutely. So I love that. I love that you just have to say that because they do. In first response, um, <laughs> they teach you to do a really, really good good job on teaching you how to become a, a, a great cop, right? A good cop right. and a good firefighter and a good EMS or dispatch and whatever. They teach you all that good stuff, right? Um, but they don't teach you the, the the things that you really need to know to be able to withstand that long career, right? To get through a long career and be healthy in your relationships, in your marriage, in your finances, in your you know your physical wellness, mm-hmm. your, right? All of all of those type of things. That's not taught. Um, no. And then we even retirement. We, need to be, we, we just need to be better humans, right? Like, yeah. If if you're a better human being. You're mm. going to be an awesome firefighter. Mm. If you're a better human being, you're going to be an awesome cop. Yeah. Um, but the skills don't reciprocate. If you're an awesome cop, that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to have your shit together at home. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, a lot of the times yeah. the, the, it, it does happen is that they don't share a lot, right? And you said, you know, you'd have a, a, a better relationship at home or a better um, time at home. Families are a huge part of, part of that career, whether they want to be or not, right? We, right. T- we talk about this all the time, um, about those families who are not supported and don't know what the heck is going on with that first responder. All they know is that they've changed and, right. and, there's, and there's something going on and they don't know how to also approach the conversation to be able to say, what you need help. Right. Yeah, 100%, Linda. Our families, I, I can't tell you how many times Nicole had said to me over the years, you're here, but you're not here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And we've heard it also so many times in, in some interviews, like a wife struggling at home because she sees her first responder coming home drinking more, right? right. Isolating for the family, not participating in those sports games that they're going that they used to go to as families, not sure. participating at, at dinner, right? Making dinner or whatever it might be. And there's changes. And if she said something like, you need to go get help, it's shut your mouth. Don't yeah. Mike. If, if you if we talk yeah. about you this, if I go and you seek don't help, know what I need. Yes, I think is the uh, yeah. Or response. or if I go, if I go and get, if I go and uh, talk about something that I need help, my gun is going to be taken away from me. Am sure. I going to take? I can't do my job. So then, guess what? Then we're going to lose this house and all this thing, and uh, and it just starts spirals, and it creates even more and more tension at home, right in the home. Front. 100%. Yeah. So, yes, I totally agree with you. Families need to be more educated. I also feel like as part of, you know, the mental health awareness within families, if if a spouse at home was more educated in those red flags right. that, you know, the first responder would see or on the job that might be causing a lot of trauma and those behavioral changes, um, they'd be probably more 
able to to sort of seek help or or approach have a I'm pointing over as Jay as if it was the first responder but be yeah. able to have that conversation approach the conversation I know for 100%. me yeah, yeah I I you know I I'd said it all many many times that for us for our family you know when we lost Alex I feel that if 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 we had been educated in those red flags maybe we would have been able to have a different conversation or or approach the conversation much more differently about changes, right? Or sure. for him seeking help, and 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 that's why we're actually having a readiness workshop up here on March ninth, um, a first responder family readiness workshop. Be ready, right? So we've invited um, first responders and families and their families to this workshop, and uh, we that's have awesome. the cream of the crop of in mental health um, in first response coming, and they're all presenting. Um, up wonderful. here in Massachusetts and um, you know they're going to be doing that but the thing is is that the idea of of the workshop again coming inspired by those families being out of the loop of what's available to their first responders right for help right. seeking help is to connect the families and the first responder directly to the resources and and then when they go home they're going to leave with a folder that night and then when they go home they might not need it then they might not need it in a month's time right. but they might need it and when they do need it, they're going to be able to open up that folder and say, you know what, I remember that face that I saw. What I a, talked to that a person. a resource to give them. Yeah, and to be able to take a home. So that's something myself and Jay are very passionate about. Oh, yeah. And um, and we've been working now for the past couple of months putting that together, and it's finally... We have peer support units. We have um, equine therapy. We have mindfulness coaches. We have um, oh, so many, right? Yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's something. Sounds like it's going to be an amazing event. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, and um, we we can't wait to start to put that on. But I think a lot of families and and um, first responders' spouses and families will be able to benefit that just that little bit of extra education that they might have been missing before, and it's missing. It's that's, missing and needed. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, two hundred percent. Yeah. So, John, so where where are you going with like with your coaching? Like, as far as tell us, like. How do people are able to reach out to you? Tell us uh, about the book. So the easiest way folks uh, usually reach out is through the website. Yeah. Um, lawenforcementlifecoach.com. Yeah. And it's got all the, it's got links to the podcast. It's got, uh, you know, a little information on, on a way to reach out and get in touch. Yeah. And um, that's probably the easiest way. Yeah. Yeah. And do, do you do, um, uh, coaching like that's your job now so uh, that's your career you, now this, this thing has kind of really um really grown into something that i didn't even think it would mm. i so i spend a lot of time now traveling and presenting to police departments and at conferences mm-hmm. um and so the the coaching is actually i look i'm always a phone call away uh, or yeah. I, I'm never, never not too busy yeah. to talk or refer or, or, or provide some guidance or mentorship. But mm-hmm. I, I'll say that the majority of my time now is spent presenting and connecting with agencies and, um, and just like on a, on a larger scale, reaching more people, if yeah. you will. Yeah. 
and um, and so that's really what, what I spend my time with. Every every day I get up early, I start working the business, connecting with people, mm-hmm. and uh, then I block off from from nine to twelve for Mrs. Kelly, Mrs. Oh. Kelly and John time. Yeah, we run errands together, go to the gym together, do whatever, and then I work a couple hours in the afternoon, uh, and then you know that's. When I'm not traveling, I'm home spending yeah. time with uh, my wife and daughter. So, yeah. I uh, I love that. I've got the best of uh, uh, the best of both worlds. I get to. I have my why, like yes. that. <laughs> you know, yes. I have that. Like yeah, it's, it's, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I am. I am more fulfilled now than I was over a thirty-year career, um, in, in the capacity of being part of people's solutions and. Um, I, it's just, you know, like I said, it's, it's taken me to the end to figure out so many things and it's, um, it's incumbent upon me to share what I've, what I've figured out. Yeah. I, I don't think you you used the word and it's come to the end for me to, to figure things out. I don't think this is the end. I think this is just the beginning Right, um, the beginning. <laughs> I think this is this is this is just the beginning, John. Yeah. Uh, I think yes, you have a lot to share. And when you were saying, um, just there, just reflecting back on when you said the word, I I have my why. I found my why. Yeah. What came into my head was peace. I I was looking at you and I was like, he's found peace. Yeah. In in what he's doing now to be able to help him to continue to move forward. When you have that sure. peace, that inner peace within you, there's nothing that can stop you, right? That's right. strength um, to be able to to move forward. And Oh, man, was, I can't wait to sort of continue to follow you on your journey with what you do. And the podcast, is that on YouTube or is it just um, a so virtual? I, I do both. Yeah. I, I have it on all the major platforms and I've got a, uh, a YouTube channel as well that... Uh, the video version of it airs as well. Okay, perfect. Because I'm going to get in there and I'm be following that. I think Mr. No, J. I, Bailey I over I'm, here. I think I'm oh, going to yeah. have you as a guest in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, hopefully. you do. You do. Yeah, I think you ha- where I'm going to be looking. It's up there somewhere on my calendar if I can uh, I can read it. Maybe March 4th, maybe, I think, maybe. is on there. I think, yes. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah, we'll be awesome. on for sure. And... Um, you know, talking on your podcast and and sharing our our whys, right? Yes, on our journey. Wait. I yeah. can't wait. Well, John, it has been absolutely an amazing. I know, even we haven't even this conversation tonight has gone on like well over an hour, right? But I know we haven't even we haven't even touched even the surface on you. So I I would sit and have conversations with you for hours for oh, sure. No doubt. And no doubt. um. And I look forward to future conversations with you. Um, I think this is just the beginning of a, of a friendship and uh, a connection. Also, again, into to helping others, right? And that's what we're all about. Wholeheartedly. I just thank you for taking it. Thank you for what you guys are doing. Mm, thank um, you. The, there's, it's such important work. And, yeah. uh, you know, th- this is your why. This is your giving back and, and you're trying to provide that guidance and direction and support. Mm. And um, this is a, it's a beautiful time to be alive, to be able to try to help people, yeah. help people that are in the dark. 
yeah. you know, yep. to yep. kind of show them the light. You know, it's, I think that that's a, it's such a noble calling. And I, I thank you for taking the time to, to have me on tonight. I really oh, do appreciate we, that. We really, we, the, the appreciation is all coming from this side of the camera, John. John took us on a journey from childhood trauma to over 30 years in law enforcement and what that did to him. John shares that he always wanted to protect those who were vulnerable, people who couldn't protect themselves. He says that he hates bullies, and he shares his why. Over time, John's already unhealthy drinking habit turned into something that affected his life, his marriage, and how he did his job. John is open about his struggles, his infidelity, and his addiction. Today, he uses those life challenges and struggles to help others. Today, John speaks at conferences, seminars, and departments. He authored the book, Self-Inflicted Wounds. He's the founder of Law Enforcement Life Coaching and a great podcast called Sometimes Heroes Need Help. If, while listening to John's story, you heard some of yourself in his message and you'd like to start on a healing journey and don't know where to start, call one of the Hope Lines at 781-817-3357 or 617-657-9108. Till next time. Till next time.